Julie, I have an anecdote of my own and a question for you. Years ago, when I, we were moving, we were going to move houses. I woke up in the morning and I had to take a bunch of the stuff. We had movers. I thought I was being smart, but I had to take all the stuff and bring it down to the like driveway so that they could get it. So I, I just woke up, I got out of bed and I literally started lifting a bunch. And later that day, I started to get some back pain. And by the end of the day, I couldn't even stand up straight. And I was like, I used the phrase, I threw out my back. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Oh my God, 1 million times. Absolutely. Well, I think it's like not an untrue statement, sort of. Yeah, I hear it all the time and I've experienced it myself. Mm -hmm. But I got to be honest, I'm not completely sure definitively what that means. I threw my back out. I just know that I couldn't stand up straight and it was really, really painful. And so do you feel like you ever get texted this? Oh my gosh, this is literally the number one thing that I get texted. It's either back or neck. Usually it's low back. Sometimes it's neck. People say like, oh my God, I can't turn my head to the right. It hurts so bad. Or like, I slept funny is usually what it is. I woke up and I slept funny and now I can't turn or like my low back hurts and it's in my butt and I don't know what to do and it hurts so bad. How can I like get in the car and drive somewhere? What am I going to do? I think maybe I get more texts than the average doctor friend because my husband's a chiropractor. So I usually pass those right on to Adam and say like, this one's for you, even though I see this in the clinic all the time. I mean, Jeremy, this is the most common cause of acute pain in adults. One in four United States adults will have acute low back pain in the past three months. Upwards of 15% of them are still prescribed opioid medications without any evidence to support it. And it hurts and it can be horribly debilitating. But what can you do, especially in that acute, I woke up with this or I bent down to pet the cat and now I can't get up, right? Yeah. Well, I think we should bring on an expert and they should tell us what we can do in those first few days and whether we need to go see somebody or can I just make myself better or is this ever going to go away? Does that sound good? Sounds awesome. I would love to do that. Let's do it. All right. Let's roll. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right, Julie, I want to bring on an expert to figure out how we can make our backs feel better when we throw them out. And so I want to bring on Dr. Tom Lotus. Tom is a chiropractic physician at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, and he holds a fellowship status as a board-certified chiropractic orthopedist and is actually on the board of that organization. In addition, he is one of a small percentage of chiropractors who is fully credentialed in McKenzie therapy, and we've referenced that in a previous episode. He is certified also in DNS or dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. So for those who listen to our Adam Bruni episode, you'll be familiar with those two terms. Tom travels the country and the world, especially out of COVID times, to teach people how to do these things. And so he's going to come on and teach us non-surgical orthopedic rehab, biomechanics, and pain type things. In addition, Tom is an avid, avid CrossFitter. So he can relate to people who are throwing up weights over their head and and, and getting some of these issues. (laughs) And frankly, he's just a go-to guy for Julie and myself when there's acute low back pain or sciatica type symptoms in our practice, and we just need somebody to feel better quickly. So with that, Tom, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to do these things. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. My sense is that there's a lot of people who have these experiences and are going to want to hear what you have to say. So Without any further ado, I really want to get into just basically the topic of I threw my back out. We hear it all the time. What does that actually mean when people do that? It's kind of a a fun question when patients come in and say that or ask that question, because in all honesty, we really don't know what's happening, right? You know, so it's so funny. It's like when patients come and say, I threw my back out, what's going on? 
I don't know. Like, and I always tell the patients, if anybody says they know exactly what's going on at this point, we know clinically by, we know by research standards that we really don't know because there's so many things that could be affecting that. But typically, what we do know is that probably about 80 to 85% of the patients that do, quote unquote, throw their back out, it's something very mechanical. And when I say mechanical, I mean, I bent the wrong way and I hurt something or I did too much of this. And if I do less of that, I feel better as compared to chemical is where I know you guys did something on ankle sprains in the past. Chemical pain is pain that's very acute in nature and we have inflammatory cascades that happen within the body and it swells up the area to cause more pain. So we stop doing it as we're mechanical is like something just got something is stuck is basically how the patients describe it. I feel stuck and I can't do this. It's interesting. I feel like I, I hear, I threw my back out. And then usually when they've seen somebody for it, whether that was an MD or a DO or a DC or you know someone in urgent care, usually then they're told that they have a herniated disc. And I think that that is a overutilized term yeah. uh, or maybe just kind of a misnomer of a term. But what do you usually tell somebody when they say, hey, I know I have a herniated disc, like I know I have that or I have a slipped disc or something like what do you how do you kind of educate your patient about that kind of language? We do know that word selection has a huge influence on pain and patient outcomes. So the first thing that we do is we address what it really is. I love the analogy I say to them, like, listen, if you're 25 to 40 years old and this is your and if you've never experienced low back pain. I mean, you'd be considered an alien. Like it is this, it is so normal to experience low back pain. It shouldn't even be considered quote unquote disease at this point or an injury. Um, We do know that you will go through your lifetime with at least one episode of low back pain. So the next question is, and I always offer to the patient is like, wouldn't it be nice to understand how your condition behaves and what it means with the symptoms it's giving you? So then we could teach you how to get out of that. Just like you go when you have a headache and you take an, uh, an Advil, boom, the Advil takes care of the headache. Doesn't mean the headache's never coming back, but at least you know how to control it. Same thing with low back pain. Once you get yourself out of low back pain, it doesn't mean it's never going to come back. In fact, we know over 76% of the people that have had it, it is going to return at some point in their, in their lifetime. And then also, I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you think about the term sciatica. I usually tell patients when they say, oh, I think I, I think this is sciatica. How would you interpret that word selection by, by a patient and sort of educate them about what that might mean clinically? So once again, first thing that comes across is I like to ask the patient, what does that mean to you? Because everybody comes in with a different understanding and a different um, symptomatology of what sciatica is because so many doctors out there explain things so differently. Some people will say, I've got butt pain and it's sciatica. Some people will say, I've got pain in the front of the leg and I have sciatica. To me, sciatica means there is a herniation or there is something impinging on the sciatic nerve and it is radiating pain down the leg. And truly, by definition, if it's really not going all the way down the leg, it's, it's hard to give it the, ter- the diagnosis true sciatica. Yeah, I think the person who's listening is still stuck bending forward. So I want to make sure that we get to the, the the meat of this is going to be trying to figure out how to make people feel better. But just real quick, I think it's going to be really important to go over, you know, some of the signs and symptoms that would be concerning. Like, so somebody has this little back pain, and they're trying to decide, do I need to go to the emergency room? Or should I get seen urgently? Like, what are some of the things that you would be saying to somebody like you should go get that looked at? Number one is uh, the big red flags are, I mean, 
any signs or symptoms of infection, any fever, anything like that. Number two would be anything that we put under the terminology of caudiquina syndrome, which is bowel or bladder dysfunctions, constipation, urgency, incontinence, meaning you can't go, you can't poop, you feel like you need to poop, but you can't, or you feel like you need a diaper on for both ways for urination or uh, fecal content. Those are the the big main things or any kind of uh, numbness or tingling within the groin region or the rectal region. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of a, kind of a personal questions, but we have to have these, these conversations with our patients. Like when you wipe yourself, do you feel any numbness or tingling? Can you feel yourself when you wipe yourself? Um, they're very, very important things. So that's definitely a medical emergency. Um, and we have to get them into the ED or into see somebody very quickly. And another one would be complete muscle weakness. Um, Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to walk, I feel like I'm dragging my leg. I mean, there's something going on. There's something hitting that nerve at that point. So we can't, we don't have communication with the muscle tone. Yeah. Another one I don't like though, too, is my leg symptoms are worse than my back symptoms. Mm. To me, when someone says that, like I have a little flashlight that goes off in the top of my head. Why is that? Because typically mechanical low back pain, it's mechanical low back pain. And then as time goes on, we start having symptoms going down the leg. But when someone says, my symptoms down, I don't feel anything in my low back. I've got no loss of motion. Unlike what you're describing, Jeremy, like I can't stand up. They're like, oh, I mean, I've got perfect range of motion, but my leg symptoms are burning and they're on fire. That's another kind of quote unquote emergency to me. Like we're going to keep a close eye on that. Yeah. That's great. So, and again, I think really what we're trying to hammer home here is that the vast majority of low back pain, even if it feels pretty severe, doesn't need to go have a six hour wait at the emergency room to then just be said to follow up with an orthopedist or, or, or whatnot. So while we're also trying to make sure that if it's really, really severe or out of proportion than what you would expect or, or have any of these symptoms that uh, Tom just reviewed, make sure that you are getting evaluated. We're going to spend a lot of time trying to talk about, okay, let's not rush off to the ER. Let's try to figure out how we can get you feeling better. Yeah, because not everybody can just call their doctor friends like I I can call Tom or I can usually go in the other room and ask my husband, Adam, you're like, oh, this hurts. My butt hurts. What did I do? Ah, help me. You know, it's if you, you know, if you were someone that if you lived in my house, Tom, or if I texted you and said, dude, I'm dying. I, like this thing is really hurting me. I don't, I didn't do anything. I, yeah, I bent down to pet the cat and now my back is killing me. Like walk me through what you might ask me and or based on that choose your own adventure book, you know, what would you ask me first? And then how would you kind of guide me, you know, hypothetically down the treatment protocol, if you were just doing this when we were on the phone or via text? Um, so yeah, so yeah. basically, I, I'll, I'll find <laughs> out um, how acute is it? How long has it been going on? And typically, it's very mm-hmm. acute, meaning it just happened within the last 48 hours. Um, and, uh, the next question I would ask them is our red flags, just to rule out the red flags. All right. Red flags are ruled out. The things that we talked about with the bowel and bladder stuff, as long as those are out of the way, then I continue on. I want to know exactly where the symptoms are. So, you know, I would say, Jules, I said, where are your symptoms? You're hunched forward. You're telling me, do you have symptoms only in the back or are they down the lake? It's very important for me there is because I need to educate the patient. Yeah. I need to educate the patient on our main goals to get the symptoms out of your lake. Right. And at the, at the yeah. same point, if, if we get the symptoms out of the leg, the symptoms in the low back may increase, mm-hmm. but that's okay. And that's actually very good. Okay. So once again, the patient needs to be really educated on that. And then my four big questions would be, how long has it been going on? Where are the symptoms and what makes you better? What makes the condition better? What makes the condition worse? So I want to know 
Jules, the more you bend down to pet your cat or to kiss your cat or to do whatever you're doing there, <laughs> what happens to your symptoms? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happens when you walk? What happens when you stand up straight? Once you get up straight, how do you feel? So I want to know how the condition truly behaves. Tom, let's go through one of like the most common scenarios. Let's pretend that somebody's reached out and let's let's use one of the most common ones that you see. And if you sure. want to just kind of like walk through that, kind of like what their answers usually are and then what you usually tell them to do based on that. Sure, definitely. I mean, textbook would be, I bent down to pick up my cat or to do something like that. And I quote unquote threw my back out. I felt fine. I took some Advil. I felt a little bit better that night. I woke up in the morning and oh my Lord, I could not get out of bed. Mm. I finally got out of bed and I'm hunched over and, you know, I just cannot stand up straight. And, you know, my follow-up questions would be, all right, where are the symptoms? All the symptoms are in my low back into my right butt and into the back of my thigh, which we would call our hamstring to the back of the knee. Okay. Was it difficult or was it not difficult to get out of bed? The transitional movement was horrible, Dr. Lotus. But once I did get up, I felt a little bit better. Okay. When you were standing in, by the time you walked through your home, to get to the coffee pot, what happened to your symptoms? That's kind of funny, Dr. Lewis. The more I moved, the more I walked, it felt better. But then I sat down to have a cup of coffee and the symptoms started to come back. And then by the time I walked to the train station to get on uh, the train to get to work, I felt better after I walked a couple blocks. These are very common scenarios in which what's actually happening is the low back is going through certain movements with these different postures that we're sitting in that we just take for granted. So sitting, bending, stooping, sitting on the toilet, being on a train that kind of vibrates and bounces, these things all drive lumbar flexion. What I mean by that is flexion, the low back is bending forward, like as you're going to bend, you're creating a seat. But as we stand and we get up erect and we start walking, the low back's actually going through minimal amounts of extension. So it's giving me a ton of information on what the one specific exercise the patient is most likely going to need to get rid of their symptoms. That is the most typical scenario in which at that point, if they tell me things like that, the very first thing I ask them to do is, if can you lay on your stomach? And if they lay on the stomach, what is happening to the symptoms? The symptoms are decreasing. For instance, they may say the symptoms are decreasing in my leg and I feel it more in my butt. Okay, well, that's telling me it's moving up in which we call centralization of symptoms. It's leaving the periphery and it's going back to where the symptoms are coming from. It's telling me I need to progress that force a little bit more. So I'll then ask them if they could lay on their stomach and prop themselves up on their elbows, like they're watching TV or reading a book. They do that for five minutes. The symptoms are out of the butt and they're in the small of the back. Then I ask them if they we could try to get a little bit more extension. And it's kind of like, most people are familiar with the cobra pose in yoga, so that's a good way to explain it out of text. Can you try and do a couple of those? And as they do it, explaining to them, your back pain may become more localized, but this is a very good thing. 80 to 85% of the patients usually get better with simple movements like that. You've mentioned a few times now that the back pain may increase, and I think that um, some people may be being like, why is that good? <laughs> that sounds bad. Yeah. We know that, I mean, the surgeons will tell you, 95% of the people that walk through the door and they're on their schedule are not surgical. It's no different in primary care medicine, right? So these patients, what I like to explain to them is the longer you have leg symptoms, it's telling us that there is a ner- there's a nervous system component, meaning something is hitting that nerve. And the longer that goes on, you're going to start getting things like pins and needles. You're going to start feeling numbness in the leg. You're going to start feeling weakness in the leg. And once that weakness sets in, that's a green light for a surgeon to operate. 
So our goal is to get rid of all of these leg symptoms and bring it to the back where it's coming from. Because once we know that we have that specific exercise that brings it to the back, we then know with over 90, 90% certainty that we're going to be able to get rid of that back pain and you should be golden within six to eight visits. I feel like in these acute phases too, Tom, and you and I have collaborated on patients many times where there is sort of a chemical component where they, you know, there, you have that mechanical um, derangement, but then you also have like your immune system is like, holy shit, this hurts. I'm going to create this major local inflammatory response in some cases. Right. And I think Jeremy, if these medications are not contraindicated for other medical conditions or allergies that we would maybe try something like you mentioned, like an Advil or a, you know, a naproxen or a leave. But I think sometimes, Tom, you and I have collaborated on patients and it's like, do they even need a short course of an oral steroid medication? Like, when do you, when would you feel like you have to nudge in that direction? So that's actually a great conversation piece because I believe Jeremy was talking about earlier, like, oh, they go into the emergency department and have like low back pain with some radiating pain. I mean, what are the three things that they're going to prescribe to you? I can tell you right now, it's it's an opioid, it's an anti-inflammatory and it's a muscle relaxer. Yeah. You know, I'm like, shit, right? I mean, it's going to be something. Yeah, I know. That's the big problem. And I think what your your question is getting to, which is a great question, is like, how do we become more specific? And how do we know when this is truly a mechanical thing, this pain is just going to go away with a certain movement? Or is this truly a chemical problem? The inflammation pain and the mechanical pain, they're both happening at the same time. The question to every physician and every clinician that's seen these patients should be, who is the elephant driving the bus, right? If it's truly chemical pain, <laughs> the chemical pain is going to be constant. There's going to be nothing they can do to make them better. Mm-hmm. Like the symptoms are just getting worse. The more they move, the worse they get. The only time they feel better is when they're laying in one position typically, mm-hmm. right? And the more movement they do, it's I explain to patients, it's like you're turning the volume up on the stereo. That's telling me that it's probably more chemically dominating. The thing is, is like those symptoms and those uh, mechanisms of pain can flip within one session. Yeah, I can move the patient too much and I can leave the mechanical and go to the chemical problem in which I need to call one of you guys and say, hey, listen, we need an oral steroid. But like once we understand the behavior and once physicians and clinicians and PTs understand exactly the behavior of the problem and the differences in the different types of pain, because all pain is not the same. Mm-hmm. You could have chemical pain versus mechanical pain, or you could have pain that's being dominated from the brain down. And it could just be depression and anxiety driving the pain, right? So before we start prescribing stuff and giving prescribing, when I say prescribe, I also mean not only drugs, but also exercise, very specific right. exercise. We have to understand what we're dealing with. I hope that answered yeah. the question. I feel like I'm all over the place. It absolutely does. You have your patient at home, right, Tom? So you're, you've just either FaceTiming them or they texted you as their doctor friend and they're trying to figure out how to feel better and stand up. And so you've told them to kind of get down in that, maybe that lay on your stomach and go up into like the seal pose or whatnot. At that time, I think almost everybody would be like, okay, should I take an Advil or an Aleve or something? What would you like? Should they try it at home? They haven't seen a doctor yet. Is there a downside? That's a sticky thing for me as, as a Kairos because of our script rights. Right. I could say to them, if it was me, I would give it 48 hours and see what this does. And if it's no better, I would try an Advil or a leave. Whatever you go, whatever you reach for in your cabinet that if you sprain your ankle or if you have some other pain, I would tell them they could try that. But I would ask them to try to get through the first 48 hours with the exercise to see exactly how it behaves. So then, you know, we're very specific with it, right? Because at that point, like, 
if I tell them to do the the extensions or quote unquote the cobra pose and they're taking a leave at the same time, I don't know which one's really helping them. And neither do they. More importantly, the patient doesn't understand what's helping them. If somebody asked me, I would basically say, I think what Tom is saying there is great. I think if you're having trouble sleeping, you know, to a leave before you go to bed over the counter is not going to, you know, like mm-hmm. if you can't sleep, nothing's going to be good. Right. So if it does actually help. And then the other thing you could say is Tom's done a nice job of kind of talking about chemical versus biomechanical versus structural, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you came in to see me and I took a history on you and you said, listen, I've been taking Advil or a leave for the past couple of days and I think it's making a difference. It may help me also understand there may be a little bit of a chemical component and maybe something stronger could help if, if we needed to. So sure. either way, I think that's kind of how I'd wrap my head around that. And vice versa to you guys, like, when I get referrals from you guys and I hear them say, well, I did the leave, I did the nabroxin, I did the medrol dose pack, I've had the epidural steroid injection and I'm no better. Well, it's because it's not chemical. Right. Right. Sure. You know, at that point, it's a very mechanical situation. I mean, the amount of patients I get from external sources outside of our place where we work that have gone through like 10 epidural injections and they're no better. Mm-hmm. And then facet ablation stuff, which I'm sure you guys will get into on a different episode and they're no better. And all they do is like, you know, 30 reps of one specific exercise and the symptoms are better. It's like, we did not put that patient in the correct silo. Yeah. In that silo, we did not direct the right treatment at that yeah. point for that patient. So yeah, if those chemical mediating agents are not helping, then it's telling me it's either one of two things, right? And the one of two things is it's all, it's going to be mechanical or it's, which this could be a different podcast in itself with us, or it could be completely brain down and it's really not a, a physical problem, right? It's more of a mental problem creating a physical symptom. Yeah. And that's what we've talked about in the podcast before about, I get so irritated when patients give me a story of, well, I went to my doctor or I got, I saw this person, I saw this person in urgent care or I went to the ED and they just said, oh, it's all in your head. Yeah. And it's like everything you experience in your entire life all the time is in your head. You stubbing your toe, that experience that you're living, it's all being processed by your brain. And it's, it's, we need to remove the stigma of there could be a neural processing way that this is not being treated correctly. And it's not just like, Ooh, you crazy. It's like, yeah, like, I don't know, like you need, you need to help your patients break that cycle of pain. And there's going to be some component of like, let's think through this, let's yeah. therapy through this, yeah. you know, like let's physical and mental therapy through this. And there's no, it doesn't mean that that person is, I mean, I think that's a, an extremely normal and like very common human experience. And to write it off by saying it's all in your head is to me saying like, I'm giving up on you Yeah, is th- what that statement means to me. And I think it's bad medicine. So it's, it, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, um, and I understand that like this episode is here on acute low back pain, but like you, we have to touch on that mm-hmm. because um, when I, before I came over uh, with us, I was affiliated with the Rehab Institute of Chicago and we did a study with like, I mean, the end of the study was like, 38,000 patients and out of the 38,000 <laughs> 38, patients, I think 16,000 of them filled out all the outcome tools. And what we found, like this, this is crazy. These numbers are crazy. What we found is 38% of the people, patients reporting to an outpatient orthopedic place like PT or whatever it is, 38% of them, their dominating mechanism of pain was from the brain down. Yeah. So if you think about those numbers, it's almost four out of 10 patients that walk into a PT studio or that walk into a family practice place or an orthopedic center. Almost four out of 10 of them, 
their pain, even if they say it's in their elbow or in their back or in their knee or in their low back or down the leg, is not stemming from them as a primary generator. It's coming from the brain. So we really have to understand, like I always have this conversation with the patients. They're like, are you saying it to my head? I'm saying, no. What I'm saying is without the brain, there is no pain. Yeah. Because it's not that you're making right. it up. It's in your head does not mean I think that you're full of shit. It means right. that there's other other things at play that we're just not very good you know, in the, in, in American medicine at, at addressing those centrally mediated causes of pain. Yeah. And I think that we're inching in that direction. And I think it's conversations like this, you know, that hopefully are nudging things in the right direction and opening up, you know, the ability to talk about it in a very free and open fashion, um, to see, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know. What's crazy about that is the whole terminology that, our society has been given with low back pain is you have non-specific low back pain, non-specific low back pain. That is such a crock of shit. It is unreal. <laughs> that is telling me that whoever has treated you or assessed you has not classified you. So if we don't classify the patient and put them into the silo, especially for low back, for spine pain, right? If we don't put them into the mm-hmm. proper silo, like we are missing it and we're just guessing. We're throwing stuff at them, just like, yeah. just like you know, the ED, like, you know, you're going to take this cocktail. The longer the patient goes with mistreatment, the more central sensitivity we're causing. Oh, we need this passive modality with you. We're going to put you on ice packs. We're going to put you on e-stim. We're going to train your shoulder for your low back pain, which makes no sense. The longer the patient goes, the more chronic it becomes, the more that part of the brain that represents their low back becomes more sensitized. Mm-hmm meaning the easier it is for them to feel the pain. Yeah. So the brain is nothing but another tissue. It's a muscle, right? We have to, at that point, what I have to do in my practice is figure out a way to desensitize that part of the brain and mechanically move them for their low back to gain confidence and take their fear avoidance away. Mm -hmm. So we can do that kind of stuff too. And that's where it gets real tricky. That is the reason why if we look at the studies is low back pain is one of the leading causes of healthcare cost is because we do not classify those patients properly and you just can't just throw one thing at them. Yeah. It's for any pain. It could be shoulder pain. It could be hip pain like you guys see in sports all the time. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. The brain is the brain. And without it, there is no pain. I am a novice McKenzie uh, uh, provider. What I mean by that is I only know what you've taught me and, and Adam have taught <laughs> me and it's more than zero, but it's not certified. But I guess my... I frequently run into a situation where maybe I have patients go up into that kind of that lay on your stomach and get up into the extension type stuff. And it doesn't make them better. And sometimes it feels like it makes them worse, not just in the low back pain. Can you give me some situations where somebody wouldn't fall into that straight bucket, the usual bucket and what you would usually do for them in that case? There are certain patients that need that actually extension makes them worse. Right. And what we have to do is slide the hips off one way or or rotate the hips a different way. And what I'm looking for is like, there's no cookbook. And Robin McKenzie would say the same thing. There's no cookbook to this is what we're looking for. I keep repeating these three terminologies. One is peripheralization of symptoms. One is directional preference. And the third is centralization of symptoms. So there are many times where people don't respond to extension. So if I extend someone like in the cobra position and the symptoms get worse down the leg, that's bad. That's peripheralization of symptoms. We don't want that. So what we want is to find that specific exercise that takes it out of their leg and brings it to the small of the back, which we call is centralization of symptoms. All right. 
whatever direction, whatever exercise I do that allows that to happen, it could be a side plank. It could be running. It could be walking more. Mm -hmm. It could be um, postural correction. If that is what centralizes, if that is the, the patient's directional preference. That concept of directional preference and centralization is one of the most reliable things that we have in all of medicine for mechanical pain. I mean, more reliable and more specific than taking an MRI. So an MRI is like, let's talk about this real quickly because people hear this all the time. Oh my God, look at all that degeneration I have. I've got degenerative disc disease. I've got a disc herniation. These are very catastrophic stereotypes that we're putting on these patients that they don't know anything about medicine. And all that happens is it creates a fear avoidance and like, my God, my back is crumbling. But what we need to explain to them is that an MRI is very, very sensitive. An X-ray is sensitive. A CT is sensitive. And what I mean by that, Mrs. Smith, is that it picks up everything there is, everything that we want to see. And the great thing about it is you've got no red flags. There's no infect signs of infection. There are no signs of cancer. There's no signs of bone destruction. There is no spinal cord uh, irritation. So guess what? That MRI did its job. It also shows that you've got degenerative disc disease, which in my opinion, Mrs. Smith, should not be called a disease because it's a normal process, just like you have a wrinkle on the face or a very gray uh, hair on your head. Right? This is a normal process. What it's not telling us is how do we get you better? So it is very high in sensitivity where it picks everything up, but it's very low in specificity for, for telling me this is why you hurt. But my assessment and my movement strategy, which we're about to do with you, is very specific, but it's very low in sensitivity. So the MRI and the imaging did its job for sensitivity. Now my assessment is going to do its job for specificity for exactly what you need. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's so helpful. I mean, I feel like I go through patients MRIs with them all the time and will usually come in because they have access to the report. And I tell them usually, you know, the radiologist doesn't know you. They've never met you. They're looking at images on a screen. I always make a joke of like, and that's why they get paid the big bucks, right. you know, but <laughs> just to like build a little rapport with a patient. But it's also a little bit true. But yeah, like they don't know you. They don't know what your symptoms are. And even like a really, really, really great radiologist doesn't have all the information that I get to have by looking at you and meeting you and examining you. Right. So I get to integrate this. This, this piece of information as just that. It's a little tool that rules out some bad stuff and it might give us a little bit of insight, but it's scary when you read a piece of paper that says, you know, herniation or it says degenerative disc disease and all of these kind of scary terms that are stigmatizing and they're scary. And then it's hard for the, for the patient not to take ownership or have that become their identity as someone who is broken, as someone who has a problem that's not going to get better because they've been kind of conditioned to feel that way by medicine right. saying like, well, you have this degenerative condition. You're just kind of screwed forever. Sorry, Charlie. See you later. And that's why I refer so many folks to you, Dr. Lotus, because I think you really take time to explain the, you know, show your receipts, why this works explain it in terms of people can understand you create a partnership with them and it's very empowering for the person to be like just because this you have some little bone spurs here and a little thing there and anything that says mild you can just ignore on right. <laughs> on an mri report right. even moderate stuff you can probably ignore right. and empower people to really understand what's going on with them and that they actually have much more control over it than we've ever told them that they have and it's so great when people hear that you know, and really take it to heart. It's so empowering and lovely for them to say, oh my gosh, I'm not a broken person. I feel like MRI reports are kind of like home inspections. 
they find everything because they want you to know right. what's going on. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy the house or that things can't be you know, taken care of. It's just meant to tell you everything. And so it's our job to interpret that. And it's our job to help you kind of like decide what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, so you're talking to somebody at home, you've, you know, this person's called or texted their doctor, doctor friend, Tom Lotus, and said, I threw out my back and you've given them stuff to work on. Maybe they've taken a leave a couple of times. It's like, at what point should they, do they need to like come in and be seen? I tell them, let's do this for 40 to 72 hours, you know, and then if it's no better at that point, I'd, I'd want to see them live. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people in, in the early phases of this, they get this low back pain and they go in and they see somebody, you know, whether it be a chiropractor or whatnot, and they get like ultrasound or yeah. like tens or manipulations and stuff. Is, is there value there or is that kind of a waste of time? No, that is, that's kind of a waste of time. I haven't used an ultrasound machine or an East End machine or a hot pack in 19 and a half years. And my, my outcome results are pretty damn good with, with our patients. What I tend to tell people with the hot packs and stuff like that, like if you have one at home, like, listen, if a hot pack makes you feel better, fine, throw it on. But just understand that it's not it's not fixing your condition. It's not truly helping you. It's more of a mental thing. Acupuncture. I like to use acupuncture referrals for patients that what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the brain down pain. Those patients do really, really well with acupuncture when it's brain mediated pain, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD post-traumatic disorders, or anything like that, affective type of pain, they do really, really well with acupuncture. Now, the problem with acupuncture or all these other passive modalities that we're discussing is now that patient is dependent on that provider, which I don't like. Right. Right. So I always use those passive modalities like an acupuncture as a catalyst to get us to the point where the patient becomes self-efficient. Yeah. Massage therapy, great. It's not going to hurt the patient, but I would only refer out to massage therapy or any kind of myofascial release, whatever we're talking about, the Graston's out there, the active releases out there, if it's truly a, mu- a muscle soft tissue problem. And 95% of the time, it's not. It's, it's, it's a joint problem. So when patients stretch and they say, oh, my God, my hips feel so much more open, I've got more motion, you're not affecting the muscle tone there. It's impossible. You need six to eight weeks of stretching to make minimal changes. What you're actually affecting is the joint. And the joint is moving better. And that's why you have that rapid improvement, right, in range of motion. So that patient, I would not refer to massage because it's not a soft tissue problem. So once again, Jeremy, it comes back to, and I know it's a hard discussion to have on a podcast, it comes back to what silo does that patient belong in? And, and yeah. you know, Because we have all of these methods, and all these methods mean nothing unless we have the classification the, the correct classification. Once we have the correct classification, there's going to be some of those patients that do better with acupuncture. Yeah. There's going to be some of those patients that need the soft tissue. But we have to do that. We, we have to do our due diligence as physicians and therapists to figure out exactly where those patients belong. What I'm hearing, if I'm interpreting it correctly, is kind of, you know, if you have low back pain or acute low back pain and you haven't gotten better in the period of time that you're trying to do it at home and you seek care, be a little bit concerned if you're having treatments thrown at you and there hasn't been really a good evaluation or a really good kind of like uh, classification where somebody's giving you a specific diagnosis and and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Or like, you know, I also tell patients like if you're sitting in a clinical setting for an hour and you're having like, you know, 20 different things things done like i mean there's no specificity in that like 
And that happens a lot. Yeah. That happens a lot. People go and get these hour visits, you know, at an office and they have like 20 things done and they're like, okay, come back once a week for the next two months and you'll be better. And it's kind of like the people I see as second opinions for that. And I'm sure for you too, are kind of, you say, okay, well, what was your diagnosis? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't really talk about a diagnosis. And you're like, well, what do you mean? They didn't talk about a diagnosis. Right. Tom, I, where, where we were at before, here we are. You've talked to somebody on the, on the phone. You gave them some stuff to do. They're feeling a lot better and their biggest fear is like, I really don't want this to come back. So like, what are you telling them to do over the next few days or weeks as they try to get back and can, can I go running? Can I go back to what I want to do exercise wise? Should I just be laying on the couch? Like, I really don't want to have to call you again. Right. So the biggest thing I, I, I tell patients is the worst thing you can do is just lay around. Right. So we, we want to promote movement as much as we can. We want to move, move, move and stay active. It does a couple of things. Number one, it, uh, it decreases fear avoidance because once they start moving and they they don't have a flare up, they're like, wow, I could do this. And it increases confidence. So that's an inverse relationship that we're looking for there. Number two is we do know that most times when people are laying around, like it, it's just not a good position and you're not getting, we're starting to develop ischemic, ischemic type of pain where we're not having enough blood flow. And what I tell the patients is like, listen, we need to get you back to your, your goals. Like, you know, so every patient that comes into my clinic they fill out uh, this questionnaire. It's called the PSFS, which is the patient-specific patient functional scale. And what I look for there is they list three different things of what they want to be able to do by the time I discharge them. It might be weightlifting. It might be cross-country running. It might be downhill skiing, whatever it is. And our goal is to decrease the symptoms, centralize the symptoms, decrease fear avoidance, increase confidence, and then stabilize the patient. So part of McKenzie, the back end of McKenzie that nobody really talks about, which to me is one of the most important things, is the recovery of function. And recovery of function basically means is like, I need to get you back to doing what you want to do. What is meaningful to you, Jules? If meaningful to Jules is bending down to pet her a cat 150 times a day, <laughs> then shit, that's my yep. goal. That's our goal. That's what we got to work towards. And then mm -hmm. we're going to incorporate different movement strategies that allows Jules to do that while we take the fear away and increase the confidence and then we stabilize it. Right. So I'm not a big quote unquote core guy just because I think the quote unquote core word has been thrown around so much that most people don't even understand what it really means. So mm -hmm. once I abolish the symptoms and I bring them through graded exposure is what we call it into their meaningful activity, if that patient feels great and that patient doesn't have any episodes of back pain and I could ask the patient, Hey, what have you learned? That's a question I always ask my patients. What have you learned? If your symptoms come back, what do you do? And they could answer that properly. And then I have them fill out another questionnaire and there's no fear or an anxiety related to it. I'm okay discharging that patient, mm -hmm. okay, at that point, because that's their goal and their goal has been met. Now, if I'm treating a CrossFit superstar that's going to the open or somebody on one of our MLB teams or our NBA teams, I'm abolishing those symptoms and then I'm bringing them, I'm, trans, I'm transferring them, if you will, out of the McKenzie New Zealand world into the Prague DNS world, right? So a patient doesn't come in and they never come in to either one of us and say, Listen, my external rotation of my humerus is five degrees less than it on the right side than the left. <laughs> no, they, or my calcaneus doesn't evert enough and the anterior facet of the subtalar joint doesn't open so I can't swing and drive another 150 yards on my golf swing. No, they come in, they say, I'm in pain. 
right? So my first job, our first job for all of us is to sit, to modulate those symptoms, get them out of pain. Once I get them out of pain, I'm leaving the McKenzie world, I'm going into the DNS world or whatever function world I need with them. Yeah. And I'm going to start training them and stabilizing them, but everything is going to be based off a developmental kinesiology status, how the child, how we as humans began to move and stabilize ourselves. So just throwing somebody in a side plank or a full plank, that's very engineering and biomechanical. That is not how the brain works. That's not how the brain is wired. Is that Adam did a great discussion on this earlier in the podcast of exactly what he does from the DNS world. So there's no reason for me to go back and, and reiterate that. Yeah. But that that is my goal. And once we get them into that goal, once we get them into that world, then we start pushing the patient away as long as they understand how to stabilize. Totally. But then again, in the, in the orthopedic world where, where we're sitting, there's a lot of patients that don't want those goals. They don't need those goals. They need to be able to transfer out of a chair after a hip replacement, but they've got low back pain. Sure. So the, the, everybody's goals are a little bit different. Yeah, I think you really hit on the nice evolution of care. Tom, this was a great conversation. I want us to get into our rapid fire that is uh, world famous at this point. But I, I, I just want to do a quick summary for everybody because I think you did a, an awesome job of giving some really high yield information. And I'm sure, statistically speaking, at least 25% of our listeners are going to throw out their back in the next uh, uh, like three months. And so I want <laughs> them to be able to come back to this episode. And just to kind of wrap things up, the first thing to do is to rule out the red flags. And you can go back to earlier in the episode and kind of hear what those are. Once you kind of made sure that you don't need to go to the emergency room at that point, directional preference is really what you want you to do. Find the directions and the movements that decrease your pain. And the most common that Dr. Lotus brought up today was lying on your stomach and then gradually getting yourself into what looks like a seal pose, like those extensions, mm -hmm. and then doing those in repetitions. Tom, real quick, is it can you do too many of those in the early phases? Typically not. Typically not. And yeah. how do we know that you're doing too many or something's going wrong is once again, is what's happening to the symptoms. If it's peripheralizing, like we said before, then it's something's wrong. You, you, we need a different direction or you did too many of them. Yeah. So you're going to do those repetitions a lot over the first 48 to 72 hours, try to decrease your pain. If it improves, you can start to increase activity. We do not want you on bed rest. Make sure you're doing activity. And then at the same time, if you haven't seen improvement in about 48 or 72 hours, Dr. Lotus recommends at that point probably to be evaluated, not necessarily in an emergency room, but by somebody like himself or somebody that can kind of classify your symptoms and maybe find out why you're not fitting into the usual categories. And then lastly, I think what 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 Julie and I and, 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 and Tom would really like to have you remember is that the vast, vast, vast majority of low back pain is going to resolve and it's going to resolve within four to six weeks probably. And so you don't need to panic even though you can't stand up. You don't need to panic even though you're having really sharp pain because there is a really strong chance that no matter what we do over the next four to six weeks, it's going to go away. But if you want it to go away faster, seek out evidence-based care. And I think we all really strongly believe in McKenzie methods. So find somebody who has some McKenzie training and they can try to get you out of pain without medications. Did I do a fair job? I say to my patients all the time when they walk out the door after the first visit, you are not broken. And I'll tell you right now, 90 to 95% of those patients turn around and they have tears in their eyes because they never hear that. Yeah. All right. So that's a very important thing, what you said, Jeremy. Yeah, we believe in empowerment on this podcast, uh, for sure. That's what we're trying to do. And Julie has mentioned that a lot. So so I think that's great. All right, Julia, <laughs> let's rapid fire him. You got anything yes. to ask, Dr. Lotus? Dr. Lotus, I know that you and your wife, Gina Sergio Lotus, 
who we adore, who actually is like kind of technically been on the pod already because she asked some really damn good questions in the Friends of Your Doctor Friends episode about disgusting beards <laughs> filled with fungus <laughs> and um, about <laughs> potential adult ADHD. And Gina's on our short list of our next folks to have on the show because she's amazing and she's a DC who's a functional medicine doc who I we could have her on eight different episodes for sure. But I know that you and Gina are part of the CrossFit community. God bless you for that. Thanks uh, for sending in all of your friends and colleagues there who do things to themselves who need me and Jeremy's help. So one good job. I'm terrified of that whole world. It seems amazing and very high yield, but also scary to me. Again, as you mentioned, I my working out is going on walks and picking up my cats. So uh, what's your favorite CrossFit exercise? Like, what do you think is a great, fun, this gets your dopamine pumping exercise for you that you like? Anything that involves heavy uh, bar lifting, uh, snatching or deadlifting combined with uh, mm-hmm. high intensity heart rate. So meeting tons of deadlifts and then tons of sprints and back and forth, anything like that. So stuff that turns your butt on and then turns your heart on. There you go. So butt stuff and heart stuff. Yeah, and, love it. Yeah, and heart stuff leads to butt stuff too, in my opinion. So whatever turns my heart on. <laughs> I mean, that's, love the, it. that's the summary of the podcast right there. Heart stuff leads to <laughs> that's butt great. stuff. That's another bumper sticker we yeah, can get. We, we're, our, the, the branding is out of control here. Um, t- Tom, I feel like the things that I know the most about you are that you love to be active and do things like CrossFit and that you love to classify the shit out of back pain and make it go away. So what I want to know about you is something that you're passionate about that maybe I don't know about you. I, I've got four awesome kids, and you know, Jeremy. I mean, you got the kids yeah. too, and everything like that. So, I mean, yeah. uh, I'm I'm really passionate about, uh, as you said, being active. Number one, number two, classifying. I mean, I live for classifying patients, even if I don't get them well in my clinic. At least putting them in the right hands. But at the end of the day, it, it comes back to me is is working hard so I can play harder, especially with the kids. Yeah and spending quality time with them. Uh, uh, we just spent a week of fly fishing up in the mountains of Colorado, which was just awesome. I mean, creating memories that will last forever. I mean, that's my main passion is my family life. I'm also on faculty with the University of Pittsburgh's medical program and uh, PT program. And we're creating a primary care spine provider uh, specialty is where the allopathic world has primary care sports medicine. There's no such thing as primary care spine. And where we found is the gaposis is primary care doesn't understand how to, how to treat spine or, or internist. Mm-hmm. They don't want to treat them. And what I said earlier today is 90, 95% of the patients don't need surgery, but the primary cares refer them right to surgeons. So what we, the university of Pittsburgh decided to do is they created a program in which what we're doing is we're training DCs and PTs and PAs on how to fit that gaposis. So that's a huge passion of mine. And like, I think once we get something for spine that kind of mimics kind of like what you guys do for sports medicine as the gatekeeper, I think it's going to be a better world. And we're going to hopefully see those spine cases and the money spent on quote unquote, non-specific low back pain go away. Hopefully. I love that. I think that's amazing. I have a good rapid fire that I think is really salient that we like to ask a lot of people is what do you listen to in the car? Are you a podcast man? Are you a music man? Are you, what do you... When you're stuck in the car driving somewhere, um, I, what's your what's your? God, I I just turn your podcast on, guys. That's all I do. Oh, wow. that's all I do. good answer. <laughs> uh, He's a company oh, man. Was so, no, we love it. Yeah, actually, I mean, it's kind of funny you say that. It's like um, 
driving in in the morning, leaving the suburbs, going into the city. It's more of a podcast kind of thing because it kind of keeps me a little bit more mellow. Um, but because the anxiety goes to the roof as I enter the city, but leaving work, uh, coming back out, it's more of like, you know, um, camp, C-A-A-M-P, uh, uh, my brother's good friend, Chris Stapleton. Like I'll listen to his stuff. Um, Pearl Jam, like things to get me going. Like, yeah, the, the day's good. The day's done. So yeah, going home to the family and and having a good time. I love that. I love it. Thank you, Tom. All right. So the call to action today, everybody, thank you for joining us. Hopefully this helped you with your questions regarding uh, low back pain. And if you're still stuck in that forward position after listening, um, you can reach out to your local physician or, or McKenzie based specialist to get out of that position is join the Facebook group, friends of our doctor friends. You can easily find it there. Let's talk about your back pain experiences. Let's have a conversation about what people have experienced and what you guys have seen and what you've had good success with and what hasn't helped and, and, and see kind of if we can help answer some more questions there. And we have an active question up in the group right now asking if you wanted to see a your doctor friends membership if you wanted to be a part of kind of an exclusive group what you would want to be in that membership because we're trying to sort of sort that out so get in there and 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 give us your thoughts for sure tom where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or make an appointment with you or just follow you potentially on social media like how do we get a hold of you tom so they could uh of course our our website rushortho.com i'm on there um they could find me on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Chicago Spine DOC at Chicago Spine Doc. Um, and I'm active uh, on both those uh, social media platforms. Okay. So throwing your back out doesn't have to suck so much. Ask your doctor friends. Hey, oh. Peace. Bye. The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.